You're listening to the Hoosier State Sports Show with Adam and Joey. Hello, everybody, and welcome back once again to the Hoosier State Sports Show. My name's Joey, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend Adam. How's it going, man? Not doing too bad. Just getting home from work. How about you? Uh, well, I didn't work today, so I've just been kind of relaxing other than taking my daughter to her dentist appointment earlier. Other than that, it's been a pretty boring day on my end. Always can use one or two of those. (laughs) So you want to walk us through what we're going to talk about today? Yeah, so this week we're going to talk about the Colts pinning free agency. Purdue and IU finish their regular season. IU's women's team falls to Ohio State. And the Pacers have won two of three, including a win over the Dallas Mavericks. Well, let's just dive right into that, Adam. Let's start with the Pacers. You just mentioned they got a win over the Mavericks, which honestly surprises me. I'm sure it does you as well. But can you kind of take us through the week that the Pacers had? Yeah, so last week I kind of mentioned on the podcast the Pacers were going to be playing all their games away this past week, and that brought some concerns as to how they would do. But to their credit, they really did surprise me. So their biggest surprise, as we alluded to in our title, Pacers held the Mavericks to a score of 124 to 122. Kind of shocks me in the sense of the Pacers are the ones that have won that. But Kyrie Irving missed a shot in the final seconds to hand Indianapolis the victory. <clears throat> Looking into the game stats for this week for that, Tyrese Halliburton had 32 points on 9 of 18 shooting, 7 to six, seven assists and 6 rebounds. Kind of low on the assist totals for him. He's usually a little bit higher than that. Yeah, it seems like he kind of made up for it in points, though. And 32 is a little high for him usually. Usually, like you said, most of his contributions come in way of assists, but yeah, for sure. Miles Turner also contributed 24 points and seven rebounds and four blocks. Again, kind of low on the rebounding numbers for him, but again, like you just said, made it up for it in points. Pretty solid with 10 to 13 shooting for him. And again, we talked about it last week with Jordan Noria, but he had 16 points in that game. So pretty, pretty good stat line again coming from him. Makes me think the Pacers might really be wanting to evaluate him perhaps in the starting role. But I will say with that game, it was the first game that Jalen Smith's been back for a while. So glad to see him back with the team. And then heading into the second game of the week, they went to the Spurs. And that's always a game that gets a little bit, you know, chippy just because the Spurs play a hard brand of defense. But Greg Popovich was actually out for that game, and it was the Spurs this time that would take care of business. They beat the Pacers by a final score of 110 to 99. And that game stat line is a little bit different because you would think of Tyrese and Miles Turner as being, you know, your bigger contributors, but it was Buddy Heald in this game. He had 27. Chris Duarte had 18. But that game was an issue in one way, turnovers. 14 team turnovers by the Pacers in that game. That's not going to win you games in the NBA. Yeah, and we, we should also mention, Adam, Tyrese Halliburton missed that game as well. I think it was with an illness. So you really got to see this Pacers team once again heavily struggle without Halliburton in the lineup. And again, you know, as you head into next year and have to get ready to sign him, Buddy healed both to long-term extensions. Right. I think you're you're going to need to get business taken care of because I could see this being a complete rebuild instead of a retooling period if you don't figure it out. But that game, <clears throat> I think, is one that kind of tests, like you said, the limits. So for me, uh, Jeremy Sokin was the player of the game in my mind for San Antonio. He had 22 points and 13 rebounds. He came out after the game and said that they just played the way that Greg Popovich would have wanted them to play if he was there. I guess Popovich was also out with illness for that game. And then finally this week, the Pacers played against Chicago in Chicago, which as a division game, that's one you always like to see the team win. And again, kind of like with the the game against the Mavericks, this time it was Tyrese Halliburton 
that got a shot to help him win instead of them losing. And the Pacers won that game by a final count of 125 to 122. Halliburton led the way with that game, 29 points, 11 assists, 6 of 9 from the 3. Miles Turner, again, kind of his second-hand man, had 16 points and 3 rebounds. And no, that is not a mistake. He had 3 rebounds as the starting center. That is kind of hard to believe. I mean, like you said, Turner continues to be consistent on the scoring end of things, but only three rebounds. And I'm not exactly sure how tall he is. Isn't he like 6'11", somewhere in there? 6'10", or 6'11". Yeah, you've got to contribute in more ways than just scoring, and especially with that size, rebounding is a big piece of that. I've I've always been one to think that Miles Turner would be better served as a power forward. I know – I'm not an NBA scout or a manager or a coach that can decide these things. But I've, I've for a long time have thought you need to get someone on the team that has ability to rebound better. Hopefully that's in our future next year. But I wanted to also point out two bench contributors. So Chris Duarte, again, like he did earlier in the week, had another solid game from the three-point line. He was high for eight on three three-pointers in that game those were the only shots that he took were from behind the arc and he had 15 so I think you're getting a bit of a consistency with him being a three-point shot or shooter and then Jordan Noria had 10 I know that's not like great by any means but you think the team has found something with him perhaps well to put it this way you and I are both we're kind of both in the same boat here where when they made that trade with Milwaukee this was a guy that we kind of just pushed to the side. I mean, I know I pointed at the fact that he was young and had potential, but as you mentioned, he continues to be a contributor, whether it doesn't matter how big or small it is. It's more than you and I had initially thought would happen. So I'd say you found something. No, I don't think he's going to be the next great pacer or anything like that, but you mentioned it before. You got to get some contributions from your bench, and they found at least that in this kid. And hopefully that is something that definitely continues. Speaking of contributions, we'd like to wish our condolences this week to David Benner, who is the longtime media relations director for the team. He passed away, sadly, at the age of 67. And he had a very close relationship with Reggie Miller and a lot of players from those early 2000s teams. So wishing him, or not him, but his family, you know, and hopefully, you know, they can make the best of this situation. Yeah, we're definitely sending our thoughts and prayers their way. 67 is just way too young, man. For sure, for sure. <clears throat> All right, you want to move into some college hoops? <clears throat> yeah, I got to get my voice right here tonight. But yeah, I, I feel you too. I don't know what it is, something in the air or something. I think it's the fact that it was nice outside today. Maybe some yeah. of the pollen it just got blew in the us air. all out. So what you got on the Hoosiers, Adam? I'm talking about the men's team first. Uh, where where can we begin? Let's begin with the bad, then we can end with the good, I guess. So this week, again, kind of was a defining week for IU. It really was going to play into how they were going to get into the tournament by seeding, the Big Ten tournament by seeding. The Hoosiers did not start off making me or anybody believe that they would be rightfully deserving of going to March Madness. They played Iowa, I want to say it was Monday night, and suffered one of the worst home defeats in the history of IU. Lost by a final count of 90-68. to 68. Now, I know for some people, 68 is a very high scoring game in college basketball still. Especially for men, but 90 is a lot more. Yeah. Last you time look- I checked, 90 was a lot more than 68. Yeah. Thanks for that math there, but hey, that's what I'm here for. (laughs) Anyhow, Trace Jackson Davis, he really did try his best to help IU come out. And for a little bit, it looked like IU might manage to have a comeback kind of like they did, you know, against Michigan or not Michigan. Yeah, it was Michigan. We'll get to that in a little bit, though. But Iowa ended up leading pretty early by about 15 and IU really never recovered. In speaking of Trace Jackson Davis, though, had another solid game, though. 26 points, 13 rebounds, 5 assists, 4 blocks. Again, 
you know, when you're relying, and we've talked about this before, on him as primary contributor, someone else has to step up. And that game, it did not happen. Malik Renault was their best, or was their second best scorer with eight points in that game. Eight. Yeah, and we, we've mentioned it on Purdue side too. I, I'm like last week I said Zach Eady continues to have good games, yet, like you said, there's, there's got to be a second and maybe even a third guy that can contribute as well. Otherwise, you're just wasting this game, these games by these stars. But I, I do want to make one op- observation, if you don't mind, Adam. Absolutely. And this is just kind of to poke fun at your Hoosiers for a second. This game was eerily similar to that uh, IU-Iowa game earlier in the season. I know IU was up by 15 early in this game, and then they gave up that lead to Iowa. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's a similar storyline to what panned out in that first matchup between these two teams, wasn't it? In my mind, I think the first game is still a little bit worse because IU led by over 20 in that game. Yeah. And they were leading early by 20. It wasn't like just, you know, into the first half or into the game you're leading by 20. It was like 20, 23 to 3 or something was the score at one point. Whew. <clears throat> And remember, Iowa's coach went on a rampage in that game, just started yelling and almost berating players. But whatever whatever that was, it worked for him in that game. And I don't think that he had that. I was watching the game, and it was like he was pretty calm just standing over there. <laughs> but you alluded a second ago to having a second or a third leading scorer. And in that game against Iowa, your second leading scorer, or even your first, depending on what you're – what value you place in him should have been Jalen Hood Shafino. Right. That game, like Malik Renault, he had eight points, but it was on four of 14 shooting. Not very efficient. No, that's like a 25%, you know, shot record. And again, when you start thinking about what happened in that game, they were putting Hood Shafino on Chris Murray a lot. And Murray was a man on a mission. He made five of eight on three points in or three point shots. And the majority of those came in the in a first half where your other most surprising player was Tony Perkins. Again, this is probably Iowa's best or their second best player, but he had eight for ten on free throws. And then if he wasn't doing that in the final minutes of the first half, he just kept getting layups after layups with no opposition from IU. It's kind of like, you know, me playing my students at school. They don't drive up the lane. I could just go and make it against them. It was, you know, 2K where, you know, you're playing on rookie settings. It was dreadful what IU allowed in there. And again, you and I talked about the press conference afterwards with Mike Woodson. And basically, he was pretty blunt about it. There was no excuses for that loss. And he even said it, none. And he was like, they've got to come out and play better. And obviously, <clears throat> that ended up, you know, being the case later this week when IU did play Michigan. And so, with that, IU plays Michigan, and they got, a, again, a very small lead at the end of the first half. Michigan comes and starts beating IU by 13 in the second half, but luckily this time, don't know how, but IU managed to, you know, turn the tables back in their favor. Again, I don't know if uh, you ended up watching that game or not or as you listened to it, but Hunter Dickinson for for Michigan, remember we talked about him in the previous IU game where they faced yep. Michigan doing really well. And again, very similar arc for him, but the problem became, I don't know what Jawan Howard was thinking. Michigan took a half-court three-point shot with like five seconds left. That was more than enough time to get down the field and take a better shot. But whatever play Howard drew up, that was not smart game management. And it caused IU to get a tie to where they were able to go to overtime, where once IU got to overtime, they made the first shot and they never fell behind again. Yeah, it stayed close. But again... When you miss a shot like that, it just takes all the momentum away from your team. And you like to think that that's something that Woodson for your Hoosiers or Painter for my Boilermakers would wouldn't do. You know that they're that both both of those coaches are extremely well 
at drawing up plays after timeouts. Like you said, I'm not sure what Howard was thinking there. I know Michigan's kind of had this stigma all season of sometimes they look really good and sometimes they look really bad, and that definitely looked really bad, especially on the coach's part. I just remember a couple years ago, and correct me if I'm wrong, I apologize for the name. I know you've got some Cleveland Cavaliers bias, but they took the coach from Michigan and hired him on. I guess he wanted to pay raise or something. Mm -hmm. And he was a really good coach for Michigan. I remember there was years where they were competing and barely losing any games as well. That was, that's the Michigan. I'll be honest in basketball. I always expect, you know, Michigan's like IU has a, story tradition in basketball with how good they have been right the problem is you know lately like you said we're not really seeing that side of it and again it's a bit you know muddy with Juwan Howard leading you know there's been some controversies with his leadership players on the team doing things they shouldn't have done as a coach you remember he hit another coach and punched him last year so I think Michigan's got some things that they need to transition and maybe start thinking about. But going back to that game against Michigan, you know, this weekend, that game was all Trace Jackson Davis. Again, very similar to barely, you know, coming out and beating some teams previous in the season. Jackson Davis got it done in that game. 27 points, nine rebounds, six assists. This game, though, was a little bit different in that Race Thompson finally had a solid game, made 16 points on 10 rebounds. You know, those are the numbers you might expect from Jackson Davis. But what Race Thompson did that was even more significant, he missed five free throws in the last several minutes of the game, which kept giving Michigan chances. Overtime, like, Dude, I don't think I've ever been more stressed out in a basketball game, and I'm not joking when I say that, in my life than when I was watching Trace, or not Trace, Race Thompson just keep missing shot after shot at the free throw line. It's like Dickinson's going to get another chance. They're going to get down there and make it. We're going to lose. Especially with the implications that this game had because IU went into this game on Sunday with the possibility of finishing anywhere from third to like ninth or something like that in the Big Ten. So. This is a game they really needed to win to secure that double bye, as you mentioned earlier. So those free throws loom even larger when you consider that into it. Yeah. We're, we're Trace or was, dang, I need to get Trace, Race, they need to clear that up for me this week. <laughs> but where Race Thompson made up for it, though, he got a steal with 29 seconds left in regulation, which, again, we alluded to the Hunter Dickinson shot. He forced him to take that half-court shot. Yeah essentially in a way and then Jalen Hood Shafino came back in this game and managed to get a three-point shot that got the score tied up with 69 now I want you to think about something with 10 minutes to go basically IU was down by 13 in that game they were down 13 and I remember I just I looked at the TV and it's like, nope, I'm done with this. I can't watch this. This is going to be another <laughs> Iowa game. Like IU season is over. But again, they they gave me that confidence where they came back. So I'm glad the IU season finished that way. Now, looking at where IU will rate in Big Ten play, and we'll, we'll get to Purdue here in a minute as well, but IU could have gotten up to second. The, that would have been if Northwestern would have lost last night, which yeah. I watched that game in its entirety. I'm sure you can understand, which that was the most boring game of not making shots I've ever seen in my life. You know what is nice, Adam? As a Purdue fan, they already had the number one seed for the Big Ten wrapped up, so I didn't have to waste my time watching that game, but yeah, I digress. But looking at some other IU news, and again, it's worth mentioning just kind of thinking about where the team is heading into the tournament. So you alluded to IU could have rated or gone from basically third to ninth. They finished third for the big 10 tournament. That could have big implications on what seating they kept. The rankings came out today. IU surprisingly was rated 19. I expected them to be a little bit lower, which I'm okay with being 19 because that keeps us at a fifth seed right now. But mm-hmm. IU is going to have to win you know, after the double buy, if they want 
to have any success of facing lower seeds to start the tournament. And that's, as an IU fan, what you want. You want to find a team that barely gets in to build your confidence so you can maybe beat some of the better teams later. But looking into that, as the third seed, the biggest piece of news we found out in addition to the games this week is that Xavier season or Xavier Johnson's season for IU is over. He made the announcement this week that he would not come back. He instead has decided he wants to get a medical hardship for IU. So what do you think he'll get the hardship? And what do you think his absence does for IU being an outside fan of a different team? I mean, I, I'm pretty sure he'll get granted it. I mean, he missed what? 90% of the season this year, if not the entire season. December, so yeah, pretty close, probably at least 75%. Of yeah, the year. so I, I assume he'll be granted it, but as far as what his absence me, means for the March Madness, I don't think it's as big as you might think it is. Um, I mean, we've, we've watched this team without him, like you said, dating back to December, and they've really played some of their best basketball over the last month or two. So if, if he was to come back, I would be worried about two things. Number one, I'd be worried that he wasn't 100%, which could hurt the team. And I would also be a little bit worried about the chemistry of the team because, like I just said, they've been playing without him for almost three months now. But one thing I do want to mention, and it's kind of hard to do this, but looking big big picture, we already established that uh, Trace Jackson Davis will not be back next year. And there's also beginning to be some rumbles about Hood Shavino possibly declaring for the NBA draft already. So at least having... Uh, Xavier Johnson back as a familiar face would kind of ease that pain a little bit next year. But I'm interested <clears throat> to get your take on it as well. Well, I'm going to agree with you on, again, if Xavier Johnson's not 100% healthy, you don't risk it for him. I yep. think, you know, the injury that he got takes time to heal from, and I'm glad that he's been granted that. I'm glad IU staff hasn't rushed that issue despite – the ups and downs that have come with this season. But looking big picture too, I've got concerns as an IU fan. Again, I know we're getting Gabe Cups in next class. We have a couple of other players that could step up. I'm more concerned about Hood Shafino leaving because I think he could, unlike Trace Jackson Davis, be an early first round pick. Again, with some of the momentum he shows now, my personal opinion is, is that he's not ready. He needs one more season, I believe, to to get himself polished, and then he could go. Yeah, I, I will agree with you there. I, I think he could only hurt his, his stock if he was to return for one more year, especially because, like we've said a few different times now, Jackson Davis is gone. This could be Hood Shafino's team next year, which would really give him an opportunity to establish himself as a favorite for the NBA, so... Like I said, he could only improve his stock if he was to return. And I'd imagine we'll be if he does stay, we'll be having the conversation where him and probably Zach Eady, Hood Shafino speaking to, him and Eady will likely be the the player or be in the conversations next year for player of the year. Yeah. Now, I do want to get, you know, some other thoughts for things. We've been talking about, you know, Jackson Davis for a little bit and I just alluded to Eady. So, as you know, the Wooden Awards for the National Player of the Year are coming up. Who do you think, without a bias, as much as you can, is more deserving based on play recently? Zach Eady or Trace Jackson Davis? See, this is where it's hard. Because no matter what I say, if I say Eady, it's going to come off as being biased. But I truly believe that Eady is more deserving. for, And I'll, I'll throw out two, two reasons to back that up. Number one as the overall team success. Yes, I know IU swept Purdue this year, but as a whole, Purdue has had a far stronger season than IU has. And the second thing I want to throw out there is I feel like Zach Eady's been more consistent. I mentioned it last week, even in the losses, he's averaging nearly 25 points per game. I mean, it's newsworthy if he scores less than 20 at this point, which I know Jackson Davis is right up there with him in that aspect as well. But for those two reasons... I would still say Zach Eady. Like I said, I know that's probably going to make me sound biased, but I digress, and I'll give you a chance to give me your answer. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna pretty much repeat verbatim what your answer is. Again, 
as much as I like Trap or Trace Jackson Davis, I think you go anyone other than Edie, I think you're really doing a disservice to what he's done for the team. Now, my reasoning is going to be a little different, however. I, I agree the consistency has been there this season, but I think people forget where he was last season. Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, but he only averaged like 11 points a game last season, and it might even be lower than that. Yeah. So you look at a development of a player that's averaging almost twice what he did the previous season, I think you've got the makings right there for a good player. Now, let me say this much too. I'm going to play devil's advocate for just a second. I think what will hurt him is that his ability to shoot shots is basically pretty much contested to right by the rim. Now, I know fabulous hooks from mid-range. Somehow, I don't understand that one bit. If you're going to argue for Trace Jackson Davis, it will come from the heel. Again, you're a smaller player that's doing what a center that's almost six inches taller than him is doing. Seven inches, actually. So you look at the play as a, you. we were talking about this the other night, you know, as the center, I think Edie is better. But Trace Jackson Davis is doing center numbers with less height, arguably less support than what Purdue has. I'd be willing to say that Purdue's players are better than, as a collective mm-hmm. unit, than I use. Uh- I don't want to give I don't want to take anything away from Jackson Davis, so I'm gonna tread carefully here, but not to down my own boilermakers here. I believe if you put Jalen Hood Shafino on Purdue, he's the instantly their second best player as well. So I'm not sure I fully agree with you when you say that Purdue has better support. I think it's closer than you think. But I also wanna add add in there that you can't really fault a guy for being taller than another. I mean, I know that wasn't your argument as a whole, right. but I mean, you're looking at overall contribution to the team, and it doesn't matter what position you play, what your size is, or anything like that. And like I said earlier, I just believe that Edie's contribution to the team led to Purdue having more success than IU this year, and I believe that Edie did it on a more consistent basis. <clears throat> but at the end of the day, I guess it's it's not our decision to make, so we can sit here and throw out our opinions all day long, but time will tell, I'm sure. I want to add one more final thought to this. And again, this might this might counteract what I've been trying to say here, but I did I mentioned I think Edie's more deserving. I stand by that. I think the difference ultimately will come though in that IU also started this season as a ranked team and Purdue did not. So you talked about Purdue's body of play and how they've been a better team than IU. You have to have someone as the contributor for that. And, you know, it's kind of like Gonzaga always has the one great player. Like they have Drew Timmy right now that does that for them. And they'll have someone new next year. For Purdue, that's what Edie is. He's the dominant player that has come in to the Big, Big Ten. And other than the losses to IU, Purdue lost to what? Rutgers and maybe two other teams. They they lost yeah, Rutgers, five games, right? Maryland, the two to IU. So that's four. And the fifth one is slipping my mind, but I'm sure it will come to me eventually. So Purdue never – that means Purdue never lo- lost to a team with less than a 500 record. Correct. And whose records are all very much similar to IU's. I believe their record for quad one <clears throat> wins is nine and five. So – meaning all five of their losses have come against quad one opponents. So not having any quad three, quad four losses, quad two losses. Right. I think, I mean, that right there would be enough to show why Edie's deserving is that he kept Purdue in those tough games. And again, that's kind of where I want to leave that off just because I, I really do think it'll be interesting when the votes come out this week, but who knows, maybe Trace Jackson Davis surprisingly gets the reward. I, I will say this also before I let you get into the IU women's team a little bit. How cool is it that we get to sit here and even have this conversation that both of our teams, you know, we're blessed with such a great talent that they're even in the discussion and literally could finish one and two for that award. 
Well, in starting centers for that, think about how often it is that it's like the flashy point guard or the high right. high volume shooting three point shooter for a shooting guard or small forwards. We're talking about centers. This is like old school feeling to me. Yep, which is part of the reason why I enjoy college ball more than NBA, but Oh gosh, yes. Not to I mention mean, the defensive effort is far superior at the college level, but like you said earlier, before we get stuck on this conversation, I kind of want to kind of want to get your thoughts on the IU women's team. I know they they had their Big 10 women's basketball tournament. I know that they suffered a loss at Ohio State, but can you kind of take us their journey to that Ohio State game and then what happened in that game? Well, before we start that, I just wanted to give two quick shout outs for IU because with their tournament starting, I think it's worth mentioning. So Terry Morin was named 10, which is a big honor for her. Yeah, very so, deserving, I will say. And then Mackenzie Holmes was actually a unanimous selection for the first ten or first team all Big Ten for the women's side and was named the defensive player of the year for the Big Ten as well. First IU player in women's history to do that. Now, the website I read said first player in IU's history to do that, so I wasn't sure if it meant men or not. But regardless, that's still an immense honor considering that remember you have Caitlin Clark in this conference who was voted the best player. So voted as the best defensive player. I mean, I think that that shows you a lot. Well, and we just talked a second ago about the defensive, you know, level of intensity at the college level that, that doesn't exclude the women's team. I mean, you watch these games, these ladies lay it all on the court every game. And I think that's the, the area where IU has lacked for so many years on the women's side is that there wasn't maybe as much of an intensity to get it. Like we've mentioned before, Grace Berger came back to get to the tournament this year and get further than the first or second round again. IU kind of felt, you know, a bad taste in their mouths after, you know, kind of being a Cinderella story last year with getting into the tournament on the women's side and the men's obviously, but you know, they felt that hunger, and that's why they had so many people come back. Mackenzie Holmes returned after a good season. You had Grace Berger return for a fifth season. And then you had a bench player, Scalia, who also is a senior this year and was a big contributor last year. She decided to come back rather than maybe leaving for greener pastures. Yep. So diving into the week for the women's team, I won't take too much time to go into it, but with their tournament play starting, obviously they, you know, like all teams do when you go into the tournaments, you you face teams based on your records and whatnot. So they started with Michigan State, which is a game that they won, 94-85. to 85. That was IU's highest scoring game for the women since 2018. Well, it was also an opportunity for them to exercise some demons because – Correct me if I'm wrong, Michigan State was one of the only two teams to beat them in the regular season. That is correct. So that was a good feeling for the women's team coming out. Now, Mackenzie Holmes in that game, again, you'll you'll hear her name consistently on this podcast. You know, she contributed 27 points, five rebounds, two steals, and two blocks. But the surprise was senior Sarah Scalia. Last year as a junior, she contributed 17.9 points a game so you're thinking about her as a starter you look at those starter numbers hasn't been a starter on this team and so coming back for her senior year you know you would like that to come out and this was her coming out game finally had 20 points off the bench and we kind of have alluded to a lot of three-point shots that have either won games but she shot a three-pointer to tie the game. And then IU got the momentum back after that. So it was nice to see a bench player on the women's team. We don't ever get to really talk about, you know, the bench too much. Someone different coming out and having a big game. Yeah. Now, let's well, get to the bad part. Real quick, and well, real quick before you move on, that's a testament to the depth on this team as well. You talk about averaging nearly 18 points a game her junior year. And she's coming off the bench as a senior. Like I said, that that tells you just how deep this team is, and is a big part of why they've been, why they've had so much success this year. 
Well, and unfortunately, IU's women's team's turnover is going to be happening this next year. They do have two really great recruits, a new point guard, which will obviously be a starter, and then a shooting guard who may or may not play too much. I'm not really sure yet on how that'll all work, but, you know, I think you're right. I use women's team in that game. They actually use the bench quite a bit, not so much scoring deep from the bench, but a lot of players were getting the ball. And again, I think, you know, it's a good way for IU to kind of figure out what they have for next season. Now let's get to the bad part. I've not been looking forward to this conversation because you and I both know how much I hate Ohio state in any sport in any capacity. So the bigger story for IU kind of heading into the tournament time was this Ohio State game that they played a couple of days ago. They beat Ohio State Ohio State both times in the regular season, but heading in to the tournament, Ohio State was just playing for seeding pretty much. IU was rated as an early seed heading in, so there wasn't a whole lot riding on it for them, but IU got shocked. At a minute and 10 seconds left, IU had led the game to this point. Ohio State ties the ball with a minute and 10. Grace Berger then made the next shot as a layup with 47 seconds. So you start thinking, IU's going to win. And again, I think as I get less of, there's no such thing as too little time left. The, the game is over when the clocks hit zero. But once... That shot went in on the layup from Grace Berger. Ohio State got fouled right after, and then they made foul shots and shots to basically take that lead. For Ohio State, it was called a historic win in the sense that, you know, IU never got back into it with 30 seconds left. Usually we talk about there's no such thing as too little time, but this was a game of there was not enough time and not enough momentum for them to get back in. So looking at game speaking of grace Berger again she had 20 points and six assists very solid game sarah scalia again had another great point or another great game with 15 mackenzie holmes though kind of lost some steam and didn't really do a whole lot so she had 12 points seven rebounds you look at that you know as a, as a player that averages well over 20 her rebound numbers were right in par with what she normally does but You start getting some concerns. Now, I'm going to ask you, last week I mentioned on the podcast that the women's team did not do well in away games. And this was a series that was played in Minneapolis. So in your mind, I want to see if you kind of change your opinion, kind of shift to where I'm thinking. Should IU be concerned heading into the actual tournament play with these games being away from Assembly Hall or is OSU just that good of a team? Uh, I think a little bit of both can be correct, but at the same time, I kind of want to double down on what I said last week. I'm not as concerned as you are for the simple fact that was their third loss, correct, of the entire season. Yeah. And I, I think it takes more more than three losses for it to be considered a trend. And we just mentioned all the seniors that are on this team. I just have to believe that, there's enough experience and leadership on that team that it won't be a problem. And I'd also add this in there, as much as this stings, I'd much rather get bounced out of the Big Ten tournament early than the, the Women's March Madness tournament early. So if anything, hopefully this is something that, like I said, that leadership can learn from and they can take that into the tournament with them and all us fails maybe even give them an extra trip on their shoulder leading into the big tournament. I think that's all definitely true. I, I guess as I think about it, there is one silver lining, and obviously that is that you get a little bit of extra rest before heading into the tournament, which right. you know for a lot of teams is always a positive, especially when you think about the intensity that these teams are getting ready to face, both for the men's and the women's in the weeks oh, yeah. coming up. It's such a fun time of year for fans like us. We don't realize how you know, exhausting it's got to be for the players. Yeah, you are certainly right about that. So let's talk about Purdue now. What do you got on Purdue for this week? Yeah, so I mentioned last week Purdue had two games this week to finish out the regular season. They started the week with a win over Wisconsin at Wisconsin. 
That was a nail biter of a game. Final score, 63 to 61. The team looked flat like they have, so it's still kind of concerning, even though they got a win. Zach Eady finished with 17 points, 19 rebounds. Fletcher Lawyer added 13 points. And I kind of want to brag on myself for a minute, Adam. Last week I threw out some ideas of how to maybe fix this team. Junior Brandon Newman got the start over Ethan Morton to add another threat on offense. Again, like I said, it's something I kind of suggested last week. Newman finished the game with seven points, five rebounds, and two steals, which as far as numbers go, it doesn't sound like a huge game, but he brought a high level of energy during his 23 minutes of playing time, which brings me to the Illinois game at home, their last game at Mackey of the year, where they won by a final score of 76-71. to 71. Brandon Newman, again, was the was the story of the game. He played a career-high 34 minutes, and he played at a high level once again. He scored 19 points, added six rebounds, five assists, and my personal personal favorite, three assists. So before I get into the rest of this game, Adam, I got to ask you, do you think that Newman coming on strong over the these last two games will be enough to kind of return Purdue to that contender conversation? I'm going to answer with yes and no, and it all depends on decisions made by Coach Painter. My argument for why he could be a legitimate con- or a legitimate threat for them, help them turn into a contender again, is because I think it gives Purdue a new spark. We kind of talked last week into how what was happening really wasn't working. You know, Fletcher Lawyer had struggled. Morton had struggled. Obviously, you know, you have had some other players like Braden Smith and Caleb First who haven't really been as you would want them to be for a team that has a lot of depth at guard. But I, I think, you know, it's always like the saying goes, you play the hot hand at any given time. Right, especially this time of year. So my argument for no, though, is you said that he got his first start over Ethan Morton. Is that correct? The the game against uh, Wisconsin was his first start of the year. Okay, so this is a player that has two starts, and he's a freshman, correct? He's a junior. He he had been in the starting lineup a number of times over his freshman and sophomore year, but he had kind of taken a backseat role this year until now. Well, let's. I'm going to kind of use that to elevate my point a little bit then. If you're only starting two games this season, I think, you know, there comes the question of why hasn't he started before now? And again, I get, I get teams play the hot hand and Purdue has Zach Eady. But if I'm a coach, every game, all game, I'm trying to put my best players out on the floor. And I don't think we'd really talked about Newman on this podcast until now. So I would like to see Purdue do well, because obviously I'd like to see IU and Purdue play in this tournament together. You know, what a great story that could end up being. But I think it all boils down to, you know, if it's sustainable, I think he makes Purdue a contender. But if Painter wants to trickle with the lineup, which I told you last week, I thought that they needed to make some changes too. It may not work out if, you know, everyone doesn't keep doing their assigned roles. Well, and the only the only reason I'm hopeful is we don't need him to have a game like he had against Illinois. The nineteen points, six rebounds, five assists. Yes, it's a it's ideal. But like I mentioned, the level of energy he's he's brought to this starting lineup. I mean, again, like I said, the biggest stat that sticks out to me and it doesn't even sound like that much is the three steals. I remember there was twice within like a minute time frame where he pickpocketed the point guard for Illinois and turned it into an easy layup. It's plays like that that can really start to turn the momentum for your team. So I'm not going to sit here and say that he's going to make us a contender, but as a Boilermaker fan, it does give me a lot of hope. But kind of to bring the tone down a little bit, talking again about that Illinois game, Purdue had a 21-point lead at halftime, and they led by as much as 24 early in the second half before Illinois went on the run. And for the last... I think three or four minutes of this game, this was a back and forth game. Obviously it was nice for Purdue to finish on top. Like I said, by a score of 76, 71, but still a level of concern there considering they're not getting those dominant finishes like they had early in the year. Uh, Zach Eady finished the game with 17 points and six rebounds. 
he got into foul trouble early. So an okay game as far as the amount of playing time he, he got. But so next up for Purdue and IU, I kind of want to set the set the table for the Big Ten tournament, Adam. So as you mentioned, IU finished the three seed. Purdue finished with the one seed, meaning both of our teams will receive a double bye. Purdue will play the winner of the Rutgers-Michigan game that we played on Thursday. And IU will play the winner of Maryland and either Minnesota or Nebraska. Those two will play on Wednesday. Winner moves on to Maryland, and IU gets the winner on that. So my thinking is things fall into place. It's very likely we could see a Purdue versus IU part three. Adam, I just want to get your take on what that could possibly look like if it happens. Well, my only concern is if IU has to end up facing Northwestern into the tournament for the Big Ten. I don't want it to happen. I'll say I'm more terrified about Northwestern than I am Purdue right now. Well, it's because I they've had IU's number. You, you beat Purdue twice this year, so <laughs> I, I will say I would I would be looking forward to a third matchup. Obviously, I, I'm not going to make a lofty projection like we did last time, saying Purdue no. would win by 20 in Mackey. But I, I do – Appreciate the opportunity of hopefully Purdue exercising that demon leading into the big dance. All right, so moving on to the Colts, Adam. Obviously, this week was the Combine. Both Shane Steichen and Chris Ballard held a press conference at com- at the Combine. So these are just a couple of things that stuck out to me on those press conferences. So obviously, both of them answered countless questions about the quarterbacks in the draft. Uh, both Steichen and Ballard said that size is not as big of a deal as it's made out to be, which could, in, in turn, hint that Bryce Young is on their radar. And he officially measured in at the combine at five foot ten inches, ten and one eighth inches. I can't forget the one eighth and two hundred and four pounds. Um, Ballard also consistently said he does not feel like you have to move up to get a court, good quarterback, but. Interesting to note, he also did not shy, shy away from the possibility of doing so. But the real story of the Combine, which brings us to a point that we were kind of talking about right before we hopped on today, Anthony Richardson stole the show at the Combine, leading some, and it led some to believe that he could be the top prospect in the draft. And Adam, I know you've been a, a big advocate for staying put at four. So my question for you is, does Richardson's Combine help or hurt your case for staying put at four? Well, I think the question has to begin with, who do the Colts want? What's what's the type of quarterback that you're looking for? Because I think that's where my answer would largely loom. Now, me personally, I don't think it's going to hurt my case at all. Because again, if Anthony Richardson, you know, has someone that falls in love with him and moves up to number one to get drafted, or, you know, perhaps... You know, he develops well enough the Colts are thinking they might want to get him. They might just hold off and see what's going to happen. But I would also say, too, let's say he does develop. Let's say people really do value him. You're talking about a scenario now where you're going to have to look at the teams behind you and figure out what they want, too. There was actually some rumors swirling that the Panthers are willing to overpay the Bears even more than what we're willing to give them to get up to that number one spot now. Right. So again, Carolina is a legitimate threat, especially after they failed to get Derek Carr today. Well, and as a non-expert in myself, again, I emphasize non-expert, I still have a hard time believing that Richardson goes before either Stroud or Bryce Young just because Anthony Richardson, much like uh, Will Levis, is more of a raw prospect. But that being said, Richardson probably does have the highest ceiling out of all of these. But you're going to have to be patient with Richardson, which brings me to a thing that I saw right before we hopped on in there. And I don't know how true this is. This could be total BS. But I saw a report where Philip Rivers was putting some thoughts into coming back and maybe playing one more year. We know he already has a relationship with Steichen. We know that Steichen talked to Philip Rivers when deciding whether or not he wanted to take this job with the Colts. So I want to throw out this wild scenario where we bring in Philip Rivers for one year for the sole purpose of being a mentor to either an Anthony Richardson or Will Levis. Richardson obviously would be my preference, but how would you feel about 
making a move like that because, as I said, both Richardson and Levis are more than likely going to have to set behind somebody for a year or so before you throw them to the wolves, so to speak. Well, I think a lot, a lot of that comes down to what you hear about what's going to happen with Matt Ryan, which I'm sure the Colts should hopefully have a decision about within a week. There yeah. has been rumors that Ryan could potentially go to the 49ers in place of a backup role helping Purdy and or Lance, depending on what happens with Purdy's injury. Right. So those scenarios would play out great, obviously. That's the dream deal now. But I do think that as a high, I believe he's a high school football coach is what Philip Rivers is doing these days. Yeah. I think when you combine that with having NFL experience for a number of years, and, you know, he's one of the top 10 passers in NFL history. I don't think there's anything negative that can come from that, but you're talking about a quarterback that is 40 years old. Even Matt Ryan is younger than Philip Rivers. Well, And I do, again, I emphasize that the goal of bringing in a guy like Rivers or even keeping a guy like Matt Ryan isn't to win. Their number one goal is to mentor a guy like Richardson or Levis if you were to get them. Obviously, we still got like a month and a half before the draft, so we won't waste too much time on there. But other than the draft, Adam, free agency is also about to begin. What is it, March 15th? Yep, March 15th. That is right. I know you've started a series on the website at HoosierStateSports.com about free agency, but I thought it'd be fun if we go through a list of some of the the Colts that are set to hit the market. And I'll throw out these names. We can both just throw out there whether we want to keep them or let them walk. And if we want to throw out a short reasoning. So you're ready for me to start going through this list? Well, before you do, are we saying who we want to keep or who we think they keep? Who you want to to keep we'll do it that way all right that's fair i can do that all right so first up this is a big one yannick and keeper walk cut okay do you have a reason why money i'm gonna i'm gonna literally argue my point of he's gonna be one of the most highly sought out defensive ends and the colts have 12 million in salary cap can't afford that's fair enough for me if you can get him out of deal which i don't think you can i say keep other than that i agree this one will be easy and i'm (laughs) Cringing just saying his name, but Matt Pryor, keep or walk? Walk. Thank you. <laughs> I, I thought about it for a second Dude, there. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it there before I get worked up again. Uh, Brandon Faison. I, I think you let him walk. I, I argued in my, in my post on the website that I think the Colts have depth and we're going to be looking for younger depth. I say yep. And you, know, you can get someone else. Honestly, wasn't all that great this year, especially when you got, you know, a guy like uh, Rogers right behind him. I don't see any reason to keep facing around. Uh, this one's interesting, Adam. Tyquan Lewis, keep or walk? Walk. I think he goes to Carolina ultimately. I, I say walk also, which kind of pains me because he's shown signs of being great. He just can't stay healthy. Unfortunately, I agree, walk. Uh, Ashton Doolin. I'm going to say I want him to walk, but I think we keep him because of special teams value. Yeah, I'm okay with keeping him. He's shown some signs of being a capable receiver, nothing more than maybe a wide receiver for. But like you said, his contributions on special teams, and I don't think he would cost that much to keep. Uh, Rodney McLeod, keep or walk? I think you keep Rodney, personally. I agree. His, vet, his veteran, you know, presence on the team is is big and he played at a pretty high level this past year i agree keep uh this one should be easy ben banigu i I think he walks i think the time is up on him and i even said it in my article i hope it is i don't when you're looking at it that might be chris ballard's biggest miss as far as his draft picks go but for whatever reason it seems like they've got some kind of obsession with them so i'm gonna say walk but i would not be surprised if they bring him back for whatever reason all right dennis kelly i think that the colts should keep him and i think they do keep him on a on a depth deal he has starting experience my third post i'm going to be writing in the next couple of days is going to kind of discuss contract restructures and i think after some of the names i'm going to throw out I think ultimately having his veteran presence will make a big difference. I agree. But like you said, I think it should only be as a depth piece, meaning he has to agree to be paid as a depth piece. 
So I say keep unless he wants more money than you're looking to spend and let him walk. He's 34. I don't think that's going to be a problem. All right. This is a big one, and I think we kind of disagree here. Paris Campbell, keep or walk? I want you to go first, and then I'll give my comment. Okay. My argument is keep. I understand there might be a little bit of a market for him, and I'll let you get to that in a minute because I saw it in your article. But he finally had a year where he was completely healthy, and he contributed at a fairly decent level. And like we mentioned last week, wide receiver coach Reggie Wayne is coming back, so there's already chemistry there. This would be his second year with uh, Alec Pierce as a fellow wide receiver, and he's already got you know some chemistry with Michael Pittman Jr., so for me, I say keep, and I think he's a, a very capable wide receiver three. Now I defer to you. I have no disagreements on the wide receiver three, and I have no disagreements on his value. However, this is going to be a decision where I have to say walk, and it comes down to two things. I don't think you can forget that he's basically been unavailable for most of his career to this point. I'm I'm still nervous about him. You know, we've had a lot of receivers come through this team and it's just, they, they don't seem to pan out. The second thing is I believe the Colts, again, it it comes down to money. And I think the Colts will try to keep him, but like Taiwan Lewis, I think that Campbell could have a pretty big role in Carolina and I see, I see a bidding war, to be honest, between us and the Colts. And I think just like the Panthers are willing to outbid us on draft picks, too, I think they're going to be willing to outbid us on any free agents from the team that Frank Reich wants on his. Yeah, of course. Like you said, there is that relationship, existing relationship with Frank Reich, who's now the head coach of the Panthers. And who drafted him. Just but want to point again, that out. I, like I say, I, I see him as a wide receiver three. If the Panthers see him as something more than that and want to pay them more than that, then I'm okay with letting him walk. But I, I, I do hope that we can keep him. Uh, we're going to skip over a couple of these because they're not too important. Matt Hawk. Well, I think for Hawk, it's pretty simple. You let him walk. Rodrigo or Rodri, or Rigoberto Sanchez is coming back from yeah. injury. The Colts have already said they're planning to bring in competition just as injury, you know, precautions but i think you can get someone te- cheaper than matt hawk and i think that's why they let him walk yeah i i agree let him walk he was like you said a placeholder while sanchez was injured and wasn't all that great of a placeholder at that uh staying in the realm of special teams chase mclaughlin this one is gonna be kind of tough i believe i ultimately want him to stay i think the Colts will try to get it done, but the kicker market sometimes makes me a little nervous. Again, he did make 83% of his field goals last season, made not over nine field goals from beyond the 50 point or 50 yard line. I think he finally showed the consistency that we've been looking for for the last several years. I say you, you find a way to keep him in my opinion, more than any other free agent that we have. Yeah, I, I agree. This was not tough for me. I think, I think you got to keep him. I think he's rightfully earned that job, so keep for me. Now, these last two I'm going to kind of group together, and you'll see why here in a minute. Yep. So this is kind of a two-parter, Adam. Bobby Okereke and EJ Speed. Keep both. Let them both walk. Keep one. What are you thinking? Well, should I allude to my article, or should I allude to my personal thoughts? You can do both if you wish. Of course, like we said earlier, you can read that article on HoosierStateSports.com if you want to see Adam's more in-depth take on these, but go ahead, Adam. I'm going to I'm gonna throw out a surprise here. Okay. I think we let Okereke walk. I think EJ Speed stays, and I mentioned it on my article, but I want to go and give some different reasoning. I'll let people go and read my article if they want other thoughts, but it's going to come down to money, and there's been a lot of press I've been reading, especially today, that Chicago wants him. Chicago wants Okereke on the team. They probably also want EJ Speed. And Chicago has the money to do it. I think Okereke is going to be looking, and I'm I'm not joking when I say this. I think he's looking for Darius Leonard-type money. And again, being one of the younger guys in the class, I did mention on my article, I'm very guilty of this. I know there's a lot of linebackers, but they're not exactly 
young like Okereke is. Yeah. You know, you're you're going to be able to sign a guy to a five-year deal, you know. And so it's kind of taking a different stance from my thoughts a couple of days ago when I wrote the article, but I've just had, you know, more time to think about it. I do think ultimately EJ Speed is going to be a little bit more affordable. I know I mentioned a minute ago that Chase McLaughlin is our most important player that we keep. Again, I, I stand behind that. But I think EJ Speed brings two different things. Number one, I think he has untapped potential. And he had 60 tackles this season, a little bit more than that, which, you know, obviously is his combined totals. So you're looking at that side of it. And then if the Colts don't value him as a starter, which other teams are going to in this period, people also have to remember what EJ Speed brings in terms of value to special teams. And I think the Colts would be willing to let him keep playing there because you have Zaire Franklin. You have Darius, or sorry, Shaquille Leonard. My apologies. Yeah, get it right, bro. I've done that a (laughs) few times now. Again, you still have good depth with Jojo Doman. You've got good depth with Forrest Ryan. I think that those are, you know, players that could develop still as well. And again, I think speed offers just a double-sided, you know, dimension to him and i think that the colts will value that a little bit more yeah so i'm gonna agree and disagree at the same time here i absolutely think you need to keep at least one of them but i don't think you keep two of them but where i kind of disagree is i put my breath my preference on keeping okarake just because i feel like i'm a bigger fan of okarake than you are i think he brings a lot of qualities to the team i think he works well next to shaquille leonard and I, my preference would be Bobby Okereke. Now, with that being said, if he is asking Shaquille Leonard-type money, I think you let him walk and maybe look at a guy like Eric Kendrick, who was just cut by the Vikings today, or someone along those lines to play next to Shaquille Leonard. But in my humble opinion, keep Okereke, let speed walk. If that doesn't work out, then the other way around. Keep speed and bring somebody in to kind of compete with Zaire Franklin to, to play next to Shaquille Leonard. My, my last comment on this is, remember, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a minute. The Colts usually employ two linebackers in Gus Bradley's defensive system. Right. And they'll, and they'll go three three safeties. The three safeties is the reason I wanted to keep McLeod. But uh, I think they do more of an extra cornerback than three safeties, but. I think it's a, I feel like it's a rotation of both. Yeah, I know you, you're right. You got Kenny Moore and whatnot temporarily and i do emphasize that word because i'll talk about that in my post as well but i think you know ultimately when you look at the team my article went into length on you know you're gonna have to cut people i think that's a unfortunate reality players that you know people become fond of you end up having them leave but i think this year and i'm gonna refer to the words i refer to in my article but i think that chris bowder is gonna bargain bent hunt until he has salary to do with what he wants. Yeah. And I know right now a lot of teams are making cuts. That's why in the in the coming days, hopefully I'm I'm looking at probably Wednesday for my next article and the third of four parts for my series. I believe, you know, the, the team is going to have to make decisions in the next several days that are going to impact the team's both short term and long term implications. Until then, Chris, or until now, Chris Ballard has been able to play with safe contracts and sorts of ways, but now he's got it. He's got to find money, or otherwise, we're going to be literally sitting where we don't make the playoffs again. Yeah, and I, I can't think, disagree there, and I am definitely looking forward to the rest of your series that you've been working on. But Adam, at this point, we've been talking for well over an hour, so I think it's time for us to move verse on, move on to verse of the week. You okay with that? Yep, that works for me. All right, so my verse of the week this week. If, if someone was to walk up to me and ask me what my favorite verse is, I will give them this one right here. It comes from Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen I know that's that. a verse that you hear a lot, and I think that's for good reason. There are so many aspects of life that you can apply this to. You know, just to throw a few, you know, possibilities out there. If someone's struggling with addiction and they think they can't beat it, wrong you can do all things through christ who strengthens you uh if someone's going through anxiety and think that they're too anxious to get through a day again christ gives you strength you can do all things through christ 
And just the fact that this verse is so applicable in so many different ways, it's always been my favorite verse, and it's one that I keep very near and dear to my heart, so I figured I would share it with everyone else if by chance they have not heard it. Well, I think that's what our platform is all about here. We try to find ways to spread that message, and hopefully we can make people understand, you know, kind of where we're at on it as well. Now, I want to make one brief announcement before we get off. Geno Smith has signed an extension with the Seahawks. Uh, that's that's another team that could have possibly needed a quarterback that's found there. So, so competition's getting less and less for the Colts, but... Thank you for that breaking news there, Adam. And with that, we're going to wrap things up. I look forward to talking to you guys again next week. Until then, you can find us at HoosierStateSports.com. But until next week, God bless. And everyone have a good week.